Welcome to PNCC Speak, the language of executives. I'm Jim Hohen, Central Pennsylvania Regional President of PNC Bank. Alongside me is my co-host, Nell McCormick-Abom. Thanks, Jim. It's great to be here. PNCC Speak, the language of executives, is a podcast that features local executives talking about relevant and timely business topics. This knowledge-sharing platform showcases leaders with forward-thinking approaches that disrupt the status quo and cause us to think differently. Our guest today is Pedro Rivera president of Thaddeus Stevens College of Technology in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. Pedro joined the college in October 2020 as its 10th president. Prior to that, he served as Pennsylvania Secretary of Education and is member of the Pennsylvania State Board of Education and chair of the board's Council of Higher Education. He's a lifelong educator with a focus on ensuring equitable access and funding for education. Welcome to C-Speak, Pedro. Oh, thank you so much for having me, Nell and Jim. Uh, really looking forward to having a great conversation. So are we, Pedro. Thanks so much. Well, you know, we listened to your intro, and it's very clear. You transitioned from what I would call a traditional education establishment and model. And you transitioned to Thaddeus Stevens, leading a school where literally you are preparing the students for some careers and jobs that haven't even been invented yet. That's a huge challenge. Number one, what made you want to take Take that on. And number two, tell us a little bit about what in your background or your experiences really prepared you for this leadership position. Oh, absolutely. I think first and foremost, um, being at Thaddeus Stevens College of Technology is, is an amazing opportunity, um, both as an educator, but but really as a member of, of you know, of a community and, and just engaging um, with students each and every day. You know, as you know, and, and you know, has, has been shared I've had the privilege of of being an educator in, in almost all levels of education. Uh, you know, I, I was a middle school and high school teacher. I was able, I was an administrator at the high school level and and uh, uh, the elementary level. Moved into central office and and able to run a district and then policy at the state. And you know, one thing is clear. I mean, when you think about education and the trajectory of education, the culmination of all of that investment, all of that time, are students entering the workforce. And now going into this higher education space, really looking at Thaddeus Stevens College and our specific mission is to allow students to prepare students to enter right into the workforce. So so this gives me a whole new lens, a lens to look at where we ultimately want students to end up entering the workforce and earn, earning a thriving wage, but also focus on that trajectory of supporting students to um, to become engaged in the higher ed space, but also to to learn and become lifelong learners. Let me just ask you quickly, too. Do you reach back to those days when you were a frontline teacher way oh, back at the beginning? That, and, and and how does that pop into your head? And, and what do you draw from that experience? Absolutely. Every day. I think uh, first when when, you know, once a teacher always a teacher. And the skills you use in the classroom when um, when engaging students, whether it's total participation techniques or how to listen or, or how to explain something, that's not something that you just use in, in the classroom or in the boardroom. That's something you use in everyday life. And so, you know, I find myself, you know, n- almost every day um, using those strategies in, in the classroom to not only inform my leadership practice, but also to help me better engage with, with the students that are in front of me, the adults that are serving our students, or just the community as a whole. Pedro, you've got a wide spectrum of students that you just referred to in terms of age, in terms of background. So, you know, how is how is your approach different and somewhat customized for your different spectrum of students that make it effective across the board? 
So when you think of Thaddeus Stevens College specifically, I mean, it has a very, very clear message, uh, mission. The mission of Thaddeus Stevens College is to serve underserved and underrepresented students and students from, from other communities to earn a, a livable wage, to earn a thriving wage through education. So when you think of, of that mission and you think of the fact that it's an educational institution that serves the full commonwealth, the whole state, um, it means our, our, um, you know, our demographics, our communities pretty diverse. It's diverse in terms of socioeconomics, in terms of geography, in terms of gender um, experience. And so when you think of those experiences, they've allowed me to better engage with all different types of communities, not only our students, but their families, our employers, our stakeholders. So I, I believe what you know my experiences have done is they have allowed me to, to, to be much more engaged and to be much more thoughtful about who's coming to our college and, and who um, really wants to engage with us. Yes, yeah, stu- students today, I think they want something a little bit different from, from my days back in <laughs> higher education. You know, I went, I, uh, when I went to college or secondary, post-secondary education, you got trained, you went into the workforce, and you may have worked for the same company or the same type mm-hmm. of work for you know, 30 or 40 years. Uh, I think today's different. The, these, your students are going to have in their lives probably 10 different jobs, 10 different careers. So how is it that, uh, what is it they're, they're looking for in terms of as they come to Thaddeus Stevens? And I know one of your main missions is making sure that, they're, that people have really uh, employable, uh, coveted skills that the, the, the great jobs that the employers will want. Can you talk about maybe the different dimension of what the students want and what the employers want and maybe how that's mm-hmm. evolved over time? Yeah, our students today, our graduates today are, are very different um, than we were when, when we were when we were in college and when we um, you know, graduated and started our career. So first, um, some things never change, right? They're, they're still kids. They're still students who are evolving and, and growing and maturing um, right before our eyes. But, you know, some of the really important lessons I've learned both uh, as an educator as a president at the college, and even as a parent, um, students today have, have access to much more information at their fingertips than we ever did. So, you know, our job now as educators preparing students for the workforce is not about having them memorize that information because they can find it much more quickly on, our, on their phones than, than we ever could find that information. But what we do have to do is engage them and teach them how to best access and to use the information that they have available to them. We also realize, as you shared, Jim, that um, our kids are, are not going to have one employer um, their whole life. They're, they're, they're more likely going to have 10 careers over the course of their lifetime. Even our students, so I think about you know one of our programs, for example, in, in diesel technology, which was a new program, which is why I've been tracking it. We have students our first semester already with their second employer having left their first job to make more money in their second job and they haven't even they hadn't even finished the semester of college yet and they're already gainfully employed and you know that goes on to when we think about some of our more technical fields where they're going they're not only going in to the field where they where they can select what they want to do they're picking their employers based on where they want to work the conditions in which they want to work and here's a new catch our students care about the the social value of, of those organizations as well. So they don't only want to work for a place where they're going to make a great wage and they're going to be um, kind of engaged with the employer. They want to go to a place that's actually a good community member. They want to go to a place that has, that shares the same values they do. 
they want to go to a place where that allows them to, to really have that balance of, of work and life, which, um, you know, which is really interesting when you think of, you know, an 18, 19 year old already starting to think in that trajectory. It took, took me 10, 15, 20 years to figure that out. And, and, and they know it coming right out of college. I really am affected by your um, focus on underrepresented, underserved students. And you mentioned the demographics alone in Lancaster County, which is where you're based, have changed dramatically over the last 20, 25 years. Um, I had the opportunity to be in an event where a student from Thaddeus Stevens spoke last winter, mm. and she had prepared remarks, and she put them aside, and she just spoke from her heart. She said mm. well, she was the first in her family ever to go to college. She was terrified, but she chose to be an electrical engineering major, and she said within the first couple of months of being enrolled in Thaddeus Stevens, she felt empowered. She saw a career path ahead of her that she was going to get that return on investment. She actually was a scholarship student, too. Mm -hmm. But she brought tears to the eyes of the audience. And what I'm saying, why does that particular demographic strike you as one that you, as a leader of education in central Pennsylvania, needs to look out for, needs to bolster, needs to get through this kind of program of learning to set them up as for a pathway to opportunity? That's a great question. I think first and foremost, it's a matter of mission, right? I mean, I and, and my colleagues who work at the college, that's where we chose to serve um, because it's so much more than just a job for us. I mean, it, it's really a mission to, to meet our own needs, but also to meet the needs of our community and industry as a whole. I also think, secondly, when you think of just the DNA of the college, so, you know, Thaddeus Stevens, our namesake, it, it's much more than just naming an institution after, you know, after a congressman. I mean, this was the life he lived, the architect of the 13th, 14th, and 15th Amendment, you know, the, the, you know, the individual that fought for free and appropriate education and for equity, you know, of, of all men. And when you think of just his legacy, so he left an endowment of $50,000 to start an orphanage. And he started this orphanage and, and he shared that we had to provide opportunities and training to, to um, you know, to pull individuals, to pull men out of poverty, regardless of race, as long as they were socioeconomically, um, uh, you know, um, uh, you know, needy, um, regardless of, um, you know, religious background. And the only rule was they had to sit each day at, and have dinner together. So they had to learn a thriving, learn a skill towards a thriving wage, and they have had dinner. Had, they had to have dinner together, and so that orphanage, that concept, became what our college is today. So we serve, you know, we're, we're uh, you know, we serve students from all backgrounds. We serve students of of all ages. We serve students from all economic and uh, you know diversities as well as geographic. We serve male, you know, female students. Well, that's we, what I loved the female empowerment. Oh my there goodness! Are, think about it. The STEM careers are really, as you know, Jim and Pedro, just phenomenal wages, family sustaining wages, and to encourage women to pursue those STEM careers, which is exactly what your college do, do does, is so important. Important. Thanks for sharing the Thaddeus Stevens history, too. It's a legacy that's evolving, that's thriving, and that you're continuing to enforce there. Yeah, we're, we're all, I mean, the, the mission of Thaddeus Stevens and what you've accomplished, I've been lucky enough to be able to see a little bit close up with some of the individuals, and and it is truly amazing and admirable. But but on the flip side, and I, and I tend to go back to I'm a, I'm a business and strategic <laughs> guy, so I'm going I'm to flip the coin a little bit back that direction. And so... 
we want, you want the idea, Stevens, to reach as many, many people in the population as possible who want to learn and get jobs. But on the flip side, you know, there's a certain resource restriction and that comes into play. Mm-hmm. And like everybody other business, we're looking to enhance uh, efficiency and effectiveness and productivity. Can you tell me a little bit about how you approach that? And in this world of education, and maybe you know, one teacher to students, the model hasn't changed in hundreds, if not thousands, of years. How Thaddeus Stevens goes about trying to reach as many students as possible, but trying to do so in the efficient and effective manner, and transition to the mm-hmm. to the new world. Yeah. So first and foremost, you, you really have to um, adjust and align your modalities of instruction accordingly. Um, you know, we're living in a technological age that that you know none of us have ever lived in before. So you know what we've done when you think of Thaddeus Stevens College, we we have the highest enrollment we've ever had. And in order to do that, we know one, we have to to have to have a large value proposition. We have to be affordable. Secondly, we have to be aligned to industry standards. So, so the equipment, the tools, the books, uh, you know, the the systems that our students use are the systems they're going to use in in industry. So, so we don't waste any time. We we teach students right on the equipment, right, you know, using the books and using the equipment that they're going to use when they're in industry. We've also changed our modality of instruction. So, we have both online courses as well as in-person courses. So that allows us to be much more nimble. But we also take advantage of our relationships. So whereas we're, lo- although we're located um, in, in Lancaster, um, only 50% of our students are, are local. Still, the other half of our students come from all around the state. So what we're able to do is when students, they're off time, during their vacations, even during winter break, we help them align to internships and externships. So they're not only learning during those traditional instructional times, but we're giving different levels of modality so they can learn wherever they are. But then they're also applying the skills that they learn on campus with employers, and they're getting paid for those internships and externships. Now, one of the catches is we have to try to keep them in school because quite often they're offered full-time <laughs> jobs right from that internship right. without even finishing I, I guess that's program. a good problem. I'm not so it's sure. A, it's a great problem for them to have. We just have to remind them it's a lifelong trajectory, so uh, so we want them to stay and finish their education. But, you know, when you think about that, it, 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 it's about meeting students where they are building upon their 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 skill sets and what they need to be successful but then also providing the opportunity for practical application of what they're learning and that's over and over and over again and so it's not just about learning a skill it's about teaching them to be lifelong learners in the process and the young lady that you spoke about she's the perfect example because as you as you know we've spoken to her and others um they're not stopping there they're coming back for a second certificate and degree, and they're going to use those degrees to become successful in life and you know, and continue on. Talk about that, because when we've talked earlier, you used the phrase stackable credentials. Is that a new model of higher education? And, and talk about how that evolved, what it means, what it really means, and how receptive are your partners in the community to allow your students to learn and grow there so they have a built-in workforce that they're trying to steal from you right away before they've graduated. <laughs> yeah. But talk about yeah. that a little bit. So so not new, although it's evolved quite a bit, um, you know, as we've been learning more about around how students learn and what our industry needs are. What we've learned from our industry partners is that there's immediate need for uh, for talent in the workforce. 
But there's also the long-term need for for legacy growth and, and to build the workforce moving forward. So what we've done is we're working to address those needs by offering three different types of, of instructional, of educational opportunities. One, short-term programs. So six-week to six-month six programs where you learn the basic skills to enter the workforce. So these might be entry-level jobs in electrical, in plumbing, in HVAC, some of the more traditional um, trades. But we also have certificate programs where after a year you can earn an industry certificate in that area, which shows you have you know mastery of, of, of the skills that, that you're looking to go into. But And we also offer two-year programs. So in those programs, you'll get a certificate and a degree. So what the certificate and the degree program shows is not only you have mastery in, in that technical skill, but you've also built credits and, and accreditation around um, liberal arts types of, of courses, humanities and general education, because what we see ourselves is, is a pathway to success. And why we say pathway and not pipeline or anything else is because you can get on and off. If you know, if you did, if you're an adult and you only have the time for a short-term program, sure, start there, build those credentials. But if you can come back, come back and finish the certificate. If you finish the certificate and you can come back to finish the full degree, come back and finish the full degree. And you can do what five percent of our students did last year. You can transfer from our two-year institution to a four-year institution and get and get a bachelor's degree and beyond. I mean, we have students who started with us are now working on their doctoral degrees. So, you know, when you think about what what we offer, it, it's about multiple pathways to success in education, meeting you where you are so that you can earn a thriving wage, but it's not a one-stop shop. You can you can build a portfolio that, that will make you successful for life. Yeah, Thaddeus Stevens is an amazing success story, but I know you face challenges as well as opportunities. Can, can you speak to what, what the largest opportunities maybe, as well as the challenges for Thaddeus Stevens? So, so our biggest opportunity, when you think of our class of 2021, um, 97% placement rate. I mean, what, you know, what institution can... Say can that again. 9? 97%. 97%. 5% of our students went on uh, to continue their, their education, and uh, 92% of our students went into the workforce, with an average starting salary close to $45,000 a year. So, you know, that's that's kind of our, our legacy. That's our story. Those that's are called our return on investment. Mm-hmm. That's pretty good. I like that. And minimal and minimal debt. I mean, our, our students, when you think about our survey, 40% buy their first home within five years. That's our, that's our legacy. That's the value proposition. The, the challenges are, um, you know, probably the same challenges that, that almost every other industry faces. One, um, space. I mean, we'd love to expand. You know, we, as I shared earlier, highest enrollment, um, you know, that we've had in, in, in many, many years. Second highest enrollment in the history of the college. Um, when you think about if we could expand our, many of our programs, you know, there's a waiting list. We, we'd be able to fill those programs. But in, in our field, because of, because of the equipment we use aligned so closely to industry standards, um, because our class size is, is relatively low, it's about 20, average 25 students for every one of our instructors because they move in five-hour blocks very quickly. Um, and, you know, when you think about just how much space our, 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 our equipment and technology takes. So um, the equipment's costly. Um, you know, finding, you know, masters in, 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 in their field to come and, and, and educate um, our students. I mean, many of our, you know, many of our instructors can be making much more money out in industry, but, you know, they choose to be with us serving students, you know, to, to build the next generation. Um, and then, you know, and then lastly, just um, the space to build more labs. And so, you know, if, if you know, if, if uh, 
if uh, resources were were no you know were no <laughs> object, we'd we'd be probably be able to almost double our uh, double our size um, in a few years. Well, you've touched on a couple things. One of the key questions I wanted to ask you is, as a leader of a college, is it an advantage or a disadvantage to be in Central Pennsylvania? Kind of like the pros and cons of it. Does it net out as a positive to be here, or what would you like to see this area do to bolster that education sector of our economy? So first I'll share, I've been in Lancaster County, in Central Pier for about 15 years now. I don't think there's any place, but you know, better to, better to live and, and to serve than um, you know than than Lancaster County. So first, we're very fortunate being in this county, being in Central Pennsylvania. I mean, we have some of the most engaged and altru- altruistic partners that that you can ever imagine. Um, business business and industry here is thriving. Um, you know, you, you figure so, so. Just think about the job market again, focusing on on um, last year's class, where you think about the total number of job opportunities divided by the number of students we had. 17 job opportunities for every one of our graduates. This year, it's 21 job opportunities for every one of our graduates. And so hmm. that's what the job market across the across Pennsylvania looks like. Now, we're also looking at some of, you know, potential partners across the Commonwealth. Those numbers are very similar. I mean, when you think about just, you know, the engineering um, sciences, when you think about, you know, manufacturing sciences, when you think about business administration, there are job opportunities all across the Commonwealth. So I think not only is Central Pennsylvania prime for what we offer, but but our Commonwealth. I mean, the state of Pennsylvania, the jobs are, are plentiful. And when you think of, you know, the, the growing um, the uh, the increased age of, of some of our you know retired age individuals, they're staying at work because they have to. Um, and what happens when the economy is so much better that those retirees can move on to retirement? We're going to have a, sh- a huge talent shortage. And, and that's why we're working so hard to graduate as many students as we can. Yes. You know, certainly Thaddeus Stevens is not only a great educator, but it is a, one of the vital cogs of economic development in Lancaster County as well as uh, South Central PA. Nell and I are, are fascinated with leadership, Pedro. And, um, you know, you're in the business of developing talent. Uh, and leaders. And so we're both very interested in what are some of the key attributes of leadership that you seek and look to develop, not only in your students, but in your faculty. Mm-hmm. So so first for us, be, because of who we serve, the community we serve, um, you know, the evolution of, of uh, you know, of, of technology and industry, um, first and foremost, um, authentic leadership. I mean, we, we really look and encourage folks to be themselves. Um, you know, I, I believe that when yourself, when you are yourself, and you and you lead through that position of authenticity, it allows you to grow as an individual and to build a, a you know a better community of learners. And you know, in our space, most of our students, you know, work and lead and engage in in communities. They're very communal type of occupations. And so, as you learn to become a member of, uh, you know, of an environment, a member of of a, of a group, um, you can be much more productive in in that space. Also, you know, when when you're thinking about technology or just engaging in the workforce, um, continuous improvement, uh, you know, leadership through continuous improvement, or um, you know, or or dynamic leadership. So. You know, the beauty of, of uh, you know, the sciences that we engage in, you learn more from failure 
than you actually do from from getting it right, right? And so we have to build the type of leader that's not afraid to fail, um, because you know the the greatest lessons you learn sometimes are what you've not succeeded. And the truth is, as you hear our instructors saying much more often, and we like to kind of shine the office if if you don't fail enough, then you haven't aspired high enough, right? And so by building that comfort, you know, through being your authentic self, but at the same time just kind of you know being aspirational in, in terms of what we want to accomplish. That's what's going to lead us not only to better serve the next generation, but to, to create and generate the next generation leader. But how do you do that among your deans, among your teaching staff there, the faculty? How do you as a leader teach that, mentor that, instill that, and make that one of the fundamental values that Nadia Stevens holds? Yeah. Oh, so first you model it, right? I mean, I, I, I might be the person who tries the most and, um, and, and, uh, learns the most from, <laughs> from what I've not been able to do in, you know, in the organization. But, but more importantly, you have to create a safe space. Um, you have to, you have to create a safe space for, you know, for others to engage. You have to create a safe space for others to, to research and, and try, um, to be audacious in terms of their goals. I mean, when you think of the, the enrollment numbers that I share this year, you know, we're very fortunate that we could probably do nothing. And, and have great enrollment. But this year, every member of our team focused on going out to, to recruit, um, you know, geographically diverse set of students because we want to attract, you know, the best and the brightest and, and those that are going to be great for industry to come into the college. And we support each other to learn in that space. So we, we push well, each how, other. How do you do that, though, in a practical way? If mm-hmm. there are other leaders saying, oh. you know, that sounds great, a safe space. Can you give us an example of what you mean by that? Like how you've personally instituted that at that ESD? Sure. So um, first, we engage in distributive leadership. Everyone on, on our leadership team kind of Owns their respective area and, and leads accordingly. So we meet as a we meet as a group uh, every other week, and at, during those meetings we share updates. But also at the same time we will kind of put out a call to action. So so if a specific one of our team members needs help, that's the point in time where they'll need help, and we rally around that individual because they know they're going to get the help, hopefully that they need to be successful. They don't lowball. Their expected outcomes, right? They're they're a little they're they're comfortable with being a little more audacious in in, in that and in, in, with that positionality. Now, I as the president, I meet with every one of my team members in what we call one on one. So we meet individually in preparation for those larger meetings, and that's where we get much more strategic around how we're going to focus our time and energy. And so it's my job as as the leader to say, okay, um, here's what we're going to try. Here are the strategies that we're going to employ to meet that goal. What is the industry best practice in that goal? How can we meet or, or exceed that industry practice? And what do we need to get there? So I'm that thought partner. But then when we go to into our small groups, every individual owns that space as, as an expert in that area and presents and engages with the team. So it's really as, as, a, you know, as the president, as the, as the CEO, as, as the leader, it's being a thought partner. It's being a cheerleader. It's pushing them to engage at the highest level of, of that industry standard, but then allowing them to be the face and the facilitator around that process when we meet together as a group, and then soliciting the help that you need to be successful. That'll have to do it for this episode of C-Speak, but we want to thank you so much for Pedro for being your authentic self here. I could tell you really gave us your true insights on how you feel. I'm Nell McCormack-Avon. And I'm Jim Hohen, and this is C-Speak, the language of executives. 
Our guest today was Pedro Rivera, president of Thaddeus Stevens College of Technology in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. And we want to thank our listeners who are joining us on this episode of PNC C-Speak. You can find more episodes of C-Speak at WITF.org slash C-Speak and on your favorite podcast platforms. And as Pedro said, if you haven't failed, then you just haven't tried hard enough. So keep trying, keep listening, and until next time. 